0: Geek. Hey, it's Jay Stu and it's Sarah J. Hi. What can we say about John Cassier, the Crypt Keeper?
1: <laughs> can I just, I love John Kassir. I, I just, I watched him on Star Search. I've seen him in numerous, like, all kinds of stuff. Like, he's been, like, in almost, like, so many things that I can't even, like, but the Crypt Keeper is just my absolute favorite ever i love him i watched pretty much every episode of every season of tales from the crypt you could possibly imagine
0: i mean to prepare for the show i watched the tales from the crypt movie uh
1: bordello Bordello of blood Blood,
0: starring dennis miller yes which makes me laugh
1: it it was yeah you know what You, you probably would have been better off seeing a few of the episodes from each season Probably. <laughs> but that didn't hinder me because I had seen him in other things. Yes.
0: I knew him from from Moonlighting. <laughs> and he was a,
1: not the Crypt Keeper in Moonlighting. Just saying.
0: So we we hosted the uh, John Kassir panel.
1: He's a sweetheart.
0: Very nice fellow. So nice. So nice to us. Um, I... I really... I threw this in the middle. I asked him a question about the Justice League pilot. For those of you that haven't seen it, I'll leave it there. It's on YouTube. It's interesting.
1: You know what? The concept was well thought out. But for the time, it was hard to execute. You know? Yeah. Like... They didn't have a lot of the, the green screen and, and special effects and CGI and everything they have now, so I mean, it it could have it was, yeah, and I liked the I liked the concept of it, and I liked the actors who were all in it.
0: Now, as far as the panel itself went, I really didn't have to ask him a lot. I asked him a couple questions, and he just gave, like, super-duper he, extended answers. He,
1: ta- he And people had lots of questions to ask him. I asked lots of questions to him. Um, and he is one of the nicest, most wonderful human beings you could ever imagine to meet. Um he, he was just, he was a pleasure to talk to and listen to because he was just, he had so many great stories of how, when he started out and, you know, just, it, it was remarkable.
0: So, yeah, take a listen. Here is the panel that that I did with John Kassir. Sarah asked several questions as well. Yes. And it's just we had a great time. And
1: Such a great time. Thank
0: you, John Kassir, for your time and for doing the panel. And
1: Yes, thank I'm, you.
0: Again, thanks to James Ponce for asking me to do this panel. It was really great, and yeah. we appreciate it. So here it and is. And
1: so many puns. This 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 panel will slay you.
0: <laughs>
1: I'm not as good as John Kassir as the Crypt Keeper. I'm sorry.
0: That's all right. Well, without further ado, here is the John Kassir panel.
1: Thank
2: you for coming. There's some really great, creepy-looking people out there, too, with some masks and just generally creepy-looking buttons. (laughs) The Crypt Keepers
0: in the house.
2: I'll take this off so it sounds a little clearer. (laughs) This is not actually a mask that works very well. You can download half your face. I just used one of the Keeper designs that were from Mondo, and um, and they make these they make these up for you. They're kind of cool. Oh, cool. This one, this one, they had the Bordello of Blood. Um, premiere instead of the one sheet that they give you that tells you who made the movie and all that stuff at the, at the uh, screening for the press, they made these up, and um, it's fallen apart over the years because people have tried to steal it, oh, <laughs> and, uh, but I use it to photobomb people. You know, <laughs> <just> for, um,
0: <laughs> Here's your host. Hi, I'm Jay, and uh, thanks for being here. The
2: pleasure's all mine.
0: The pleasure's um, all mine. So right off the bat, I I read that you started off your career as a stand-up comedian, and that's really interesting. Like, how it's,
2: did it's funny that, what you know, what people conceive as my career, yeah, as, as a stand-up comedian, but really I struggled in New York for uh, as a theater actor long before that. Had. Um, studied acting in college at Towson University of Baltimore, where I grew up. It was a lot of, you know, Dwight Schultz and Charles Dutton and uh, John Glover, you know, a number of other really good actors that come out of that program. And um, I was like, you know, this is a really great place for an actor (laughs) to study. Of course, no matter how serious I was as an actor, I always was dragged into these comedy um, situations. In fact, we had our own comedy group called Animal Crackers, that was kind of like Baltimore's version of Second City, oh, wow. and uh, it was quite popular in uh, in Baltimore um, while I was in college. And and then uh, the the guy was the head of the department where I went to school. Um, you know, was always being asked to, to direct. He was, you know, really... He had come out of the group theater where, you know, some of them were card-carrying communists and, you know, studied uh, with, uh, you know, Harold Klerman and you know, all these really, you know, amazing um, playwrights and people uh, from the, the group theater, you know, eventually became the actor's studio and that kind of stuff, some of the, some of the people from there. But... um so it's some pretty serious theater, but you know, like I said, everybody wanted me to do this, you know, the comedy gig, and and. uh and I was invited to do my first off-Broadway show right out of college, and I moved to New York, and I think it lasted two weeks, and then I wound up with no job in New York. And so I, I uh, realized quickly that I think that my first paycheck was $175 a week, you know, uh, off-Broadway, which is, <laughs> you know, you living in, in Manhattan even in 1980, you know, was, um, you know, that's how old I am, um, was even, that was... Terrible. I think I had to, to, you know, share a one-bedroom apartment with three other people. And um, so then I, I quickly found that street performing was a way to make an extra living. As an actor, you know, I didn't really want to get another job job. I wanted to make my living as an actor. And so I would go in front of the Metropolitan Museum and climb the building across the street and people could see me from blocks on either side. <laughs> and I'd hang a banner. Now, you know, like the banners they put in front of the Metropolitan Museum would be like Van Gogh exhibit. And across the street would be, John Kassir, now appearing on the steps, you know. Right. <laughs> nice. And um, so I would cross the street and start my act and um, and get quite a good group of people coming out of the museum. In fact, on Sundays... They would empty the museum at 5 p.m., and I'd be waiting there, and, like, 500 people would sit on the steps, and I'd pass the hat, and I was, you know, I was surviving off of that. Um, and then I got in an off-Broadway show. Uh, somebody called me and said, you know, you're perfect for this. It's a musical called Three Guys Naked from the Waist Down, which was, uh, you know, which you're imagining, okay, gay review in the village. No. Um, it was about stand-up comics. It was Think Dream Girls, but for stand-up comics, a musical, and it starred myself with Scott Bakula, oh, wow. who you all know from many different things, and uh, Jerry Colker, who was a Broadway actor, did Chorus Line and Pippin and all this stuff, who had written the show, and the music was really great. And I played this very dark kind of. Andy Kaufman-ish, damaged stand-up comic, you know, uh, suicidal, you know. So he was funny but very dark at the same time, and it it got immediate response in New York. I mean, all of a sudden I was like the guy, you know. They're like, hey, there's somebody in the alley wants to meet you. You you go in the limo, and it's like Lorne Michaels going, hey, kid,
3: uh, you know. uh,
2: Love you to have you on Saturday Live. Of course, he left Saturday Live like two (laughs) weeks later, so I was like, damn it. (laughs) You know, um, but uh, it it literally launched my career. Uh, People saw me in that show from Star Search. Do you all remember the show Star Search? And, you know, which was the original like American Idol or, you know, America's Got Talent kind of thing. And in their first season, Uh, they had really well-known what we would know if you went to a comedy club well-known comics Um, you know there weren't as many venues for you to see comics on TV unless they were on the Tonight Show or you know one of those uh, those shows Uh, I don't even think David Letterman may have been on at the time yet maybe he was but in his earlier years and so they were you know they asked me to come on the show and I'm going what is a singer you know here I am you know, in a musical, but they had Sam Harris who was killing it on that show, you know? And I'm like, I can't compete with that guy. They're like, no, we want you to come on as a stand-up comic. And I'm like, well, you know I'm not really a stand-up comic, right? This is a part that I'm playing in the show. And they go, you win $100,000. I'm like, fuck, have you seen my hat?
3: Like, oh, you know, uh
2: I'm going to go you know work on it in the club right now you know so you know because I had done sketch comedy with Animal Crackers and stuff in some of the clubs in New York you know I could get a a spot you know like Richard Belzer who I had opened for with the comedy group you know back in Baltimore and stuff was like I'll get you here babe I'll get you I'll get you you know a spot you know and so I started working in the club and there I was on Star Search you know they're like well you have two and a half minutes so I was like Oh, okay. I don't really need material. I need a, you know, to do what I do. So I do like The Wizard of Oz in two and a half minutes. You know, it's a
3: twister. It's a twister, Dorothy. Let <laughs> me in, come in, come in. As coroner,
2: I must
3: get her, I the examiner. We represent the lollipop. Oh, Rio. Watch them, What's them.
2: That's the castle of the wicked witch. Oh, Dorothy's in that awful place. <laughs> oh, I hate to think of her in there. Fellas, we've got to get her out. I gotta plan hanging in there, and you're gonna lead us. All right, I'll go in there for Dorothy. We can witch or no we can witch. God and all God's you just one thing I want you fellas to do. What's that? Talk me out of there You know. <laughs> yeah. And I just kept winning. <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> so, um, no, I'm just going to move over here a little bit. It gives me a place of space. And uh, take off my mask. And, um, but, uh, you know, I kept winning, so I kept having to come up with these bits. And, and, I mean, I was pulling stuff out of, like, the talent show from high school, right? <laughs> <laughs> Doing with my friend Fred, you know, where they'd roll me out on, on a dolly and I'd be in a three-on-one machine, you know, like an orange juicer or a washing, you know. And I just get, you know, so I wound up in the, in the semifinals. And against this young comedian named Rosie O'Donnell.
3: Oh,
2: <laughs> I beat Rosie O'Donnell. And then I went to the finals against this guy named Sinbad.
3: Oh, you know, wow. And
2: we were like up-and-coming people that nobody really knew yet. And I beat Sinbad. And I won $100,000. And all of a sudden they're going, okay. You know, and they had Tom. You know, we would have guests on the show all the time. And they had Tom Jones on the show. And is like, you know. He's like,
3: Oh, I really like this kid.
2: He's gonna open for me in Vegas. And everybody's like, Pat me on the back. And they're going, Oh my god, you're gonna open for Tom Jones in Vegas. They go I can't open for Tom Jones in Vegas. And they go, Why not? I
3: go, I got no fucking act.
2: (laughs) You know, this isn't something that I've been, you know, doing very long, you know. and and they're like, Hey dude, you better get your ass back in the club, you know. (laughs) Start out with twenty minutes. Twenty minutes is what I needed in order to be able to do it. And uh so I started, you know, I, I started working up this idea of a guy who was addicted to television. And I was, you know, uh, could switch channels on myself with a remote control. Oh, right. You know, i go from, like, Wild Kingdom to Star Trek. Scotty! So you know, i just go back and forth. And, and uh, the next thing you know, I'm opening for the Temptations and the Four Tops on their TNT tour. I'm opening for Lou Rolls for, like, 5,000 people. You know, like, West Music Fair and... Michigan State, you know, for 5,000 people and stuff like that. Open for Rodney Dangerfield oh, and Richard cool. Belzer again and Bobby Vinton and all these acts. And so then, the next thing I know, I'm doing sitcoms in New York. I mean, in, in, uh, in, in L.A. And um, so really, I mean, Three Guys Naked kind of launched my career. But it gave people the impression, like, when I came out to L.A., they knew me as a stand-up comic. And here I had come out of New York as a theater actor. Wow. So it was kind of a bizarre kind of thing. And then I was like, and then all of a sudden I couldn't get auditions for serious acting parts. I said, ah, it's a stand-up comic.
3: You know, and then, of course,
2: you know, like, they, they're like, oh, they're giving shows to all the stand-up comics. Eh, you're really an actor. You know, so, it, you know, it was kind of a, a weird kind of thing. But because of my first series was uh, First and Ten. I don't know if any of you remember First and Ten, but it was HBO's first series about a football team. Star Delta Burke had won the won the, the team in a in a divorce settlement, and um, you know, and so they had uh, you know, like Chris Maloney from SVU was a quarterback on there, and you know, OJ Simpson was uh, was not only a producer on the show but also played like the general manager on the show, and, um, you know, I, and I was supposed to do, it was me, Sam Jones was the quarterback in the first season that I came on, I was supposed to do two episodes as a guest star. So I came on, I played Zagreb Shkinuski. And Zagreb was, uh, you know, like a Bulgarian field goal kicker. He could kick 60 yard field goals, no problem. I fuck you up. Yeah. Just a really funny character. And so I came, I was supposed to do two episodes. I'm in a bar scene with Sam Jones and, and OJ. I had him laughing so hard, he goes, We gotta have this kid on the show. I let up six years on the show. Oh but I'm making them laugh that day. And. Um, so, uh, you know, I wound up uh, being my first show. So, you know, I, when Tales from the Crypt came along, they were like, oh, we need an actor who could do characters, who's maybe done some stand up, stuff like that, to audition to play Crypt Keeper. So they invited me down to Kevin Yeager's studio. And uh, for those of you who know Kevin Yeager's career, Kevin, you know, designed Freddy Krueger. He made Chucky he made the puppet of Chucky. In fact, he was working on the Keeper puppet in the studio when I went in, and he was. They didn't give him much of a of a budget when we first started. We didn't have a big budget to start out in the crypt, so he was making them out of spare parts out of the out of his. And he, he actually gave the Keeper Chucky eyes, he had a couple of extra eyeballs that he had <laughs> left over from one of his Chucky, you know, oh, mechanical cool. things, and he, he was going to put those in temporarily. But once he put them in, he was like. Nah, that's great. That's great. <laughs> so I went in to audition for Kevin Yeager in his studio. And knew were all these, you know, like Mon- Michael Winslow, who does all the sound effects, and yeah. you know, Char- uh, uh, Charles Fletcher and yes. some other scam likely. Yeah, definitely a scam call. <laughs> I <should> answer it. <laughs> Everybody say fuck you all at the same time.
3: <laughs> <Fuck you. laughs> Some of them are under that line. I quit <laughs> That's
2: awesome, thank you for that. Um I don't know where that came from (laughs) that must be the Crypt Keeper part of my personality (laughs) but I went down to Kevin's studio and he had all these actors and I I don't think they got it because they were sitting there like reading the copy going be careful what you Acts for? you they get it? They're like, oh, this is terrible. I'm like, going, oh, you know, I had the comic books as a kid. I was like, that's gold, man. This is, uh, this is Shakespeare to this guy, you know? These are, you know, this is Alfred Hitchcock, you know? This is good stuff, you know? And I don't I don't think they also got the idea that he's supposed to be fun and funny, you know? That he's letting you know this is supposed to be a fun show, a show where you can go, horror's okay to, to enjoy... As, as a humorous as well as um, a fun thing, like a roller coaster. It's, you know, hmm. Krip will be kind of like the ride up to the top <laughs> of the roller coaster, which has its own kind of scariness to it. You know? <laughs> um, and so when I started doing that, you know, when I saw that he had rotting teeth and holes in his throat, and I started putting all that texture to it, and I started doing it for Kevin, and he was, he was like this, because he had heard so many, he was like...
3: <laughs>
2: he's laughing, and I'm. Like, I start laughing. They go, "Great, the crypt keeper in
3: his own jokes.
2: This is awesome." <laughs> and I start jokingly,
3: Be careful what you ask
2: for. You may get it. You know. He's like, "Oh god, this is great." He literally, and I just found this out recently. We did the podcast together, and just recently, he he told me he went to the producers and went. This guy nailed it. He goes, if you don't hire him for the voice of the Crypt Keeper, I'm not doing it. Hello? And I'm talking about like the big producers like Joel Silver and Dick Donner and Walter Hill yeah. and Bob Sarkis so. and David Kiley, you know, And they were like, okay, bring him in. Let's hear him. <laughs> I did it for him. Like, you know, they had a little trailer where the producers could hang out while they were shooting in some, you know, corner of the, the valley where they were, you know, shooting the show and it built this crypt and the whole deal. And uh, so Joel Silver and Dick Donner, who are two biggest in the business, are in this little trailer. And they go, hey, come on in, do it for you. I did it for her. Like, okay, we'll see you on the set. <laughs> so it was kind of almost like the easiest job I ever got. You know, <laughs> of course, you don't believe it until they actually call your agent and hire you and the whole thing. And So, um, you know, it, it, it opened up a whole other world of my career, you know, where I could play characters that I would never get to play on camera. And that was voiceover. Hey, nobody
3: walks out on me. <laughs> Everybody, fuck you. <laughs> but,
2: um, you know, so it, it, it really, you know, I mean, this is this is where, this has extended my career far into my... I mean, I still get stuff on camera. I still get offered stuff on camera that I even turn down because it's just... You know, you want to go to Atlanta for five weeks for $250 a day? You're like, no, I don't really. It doesn't do anything for my career. You know, I'm not going to enjoy myself. It's, you know, I can work out on my, my home studio for my voiceover stuff, you know, that kind of thing. So, you know, it's not that I don't appreciate it. It's just that I, I enjoy so much the voiceover work nowadays as I've gotten um, into this point in my career. And, you know, frankly, uh, there's my wife back there. We met in the theater. I still like to do theater when I get a chance. All right? She's playing Lady M uh, at a theater near you. <laughs> She's like, shut up. Um, it's not a line from Shakespeare, by the way. Fuck you, I think, might be, you know, at some point. But, um, you know, so I still love doing the theater because it doesn't pay very much. But, you know, I can bank... You know, off of the voiceover work, which you know doesn't pay that much up front, but you know, if they play the hell out of it, you know, it it helps um, over the years. And now I'm, you know, this is my 42nd year surviving since I was street performing in New York in 1980. You know, surviving as an actor. So I mean, you know, and and you guys that ever want to do this, it's like you know, you never give up. It's just kind of a you know, I, I once had a manager. She's no longer with really, us. She died young from cancer. But she was really somebody who was important in my career. And she used to say, thank you for dreaming. And, you know, that meant a lot to me. I mean, that meant, you know, because if you don't chase that dream, even at the cost of not getting it, you don't get it. That's just how it goes. For me, I didn't really have any other talents. So it's was like, if I don't do this. I'm, I'm fucking sorry. You know? <laughs> so... Um, I'm going to open it up to you to ask some questions and then uh, open it up to the floor sure. Um, what was it
0: like uh, working on Pocahontas?
2: Pocahontas was uh, <laughs> see talking about opening up the uh, uh, you know stance so the people in the back can see better but um, it was unusual because up until then i didn't really I always did impersonations of animals, but you know I played Miko the raccoon for those of you who don't know in Pocahontas and um, I did, uh, the, you know, always imitate animals, but I had never really had the, you know, it was kind of a specialized part of voiceover, so the same guys got all the work, whether it was Frank Welker doing, you know, dolphins or whatever. You know, was, you know it was always the same stuff. And so um, I got a call, and I just go, listen, we got you audition over at Disney audition for Pocahontas. You're going to audition for Miko the Raccoon. I was like, okay, sure, I can do that, you know,
3: I'm doing what I'm
2: doing, but, you know. so I go over there, I'm in the lobby, they, in Frank G. Wells' building is the animation building, it's huge, huge lobby, I'm the only one sitting in it, it's like, it's like, you know, it's like the Wizard of Oz when they're waiting, you know, and who are you, you know, in, in that big hall, and they were like, John, come on in, we're, we're, uh, ready to audition? I go, well, I haven't seen the script, you know, because even very often the animals speak in the Disney movies. Well, I go, no dialogue, it's just raccoon stuff, come on in. <laughs> so I come in, the room's about five times the size of this, and, you know, one of the looping stages where they have a big screen where you would loop, you know, voices and stuff. And they had all these easels with all these different storyboards of Miko the raccoon... You know, running through a log, he goes over, he's hanging over water, he falls 20 feet into the water, he pops up, he spits out water, and shakes it off. Go. as a raccoon? Go. So, you know, I start doing it for him, and they're like, oh my God, where'd you learn how to do a raccoon? I go, well, I live in the woods, you know.
3: <laughs> we
2: have a little SWAT teams of raccoons running over our house. All
3: the,
2: you know, making this just sound like they an they like they're <laughs> killing each other, you know. And so I didn't hear from them. So I thought I didn't get it, you know. Um, like six months later, my my agents go, okay, well, it's time for you to go record uh, Pocahontas. I was like, I didn't hear I got it. They go, and this, I've been with the same agents since 1989 when I did Tales tell the correct and they'd never done this but they were like had forgotten to tell me that I got them
3: <laughs> <laughs> nobody told me oh, no.
2: It's huge you know to get one of those animated films because you know back then they also used to sell them as units you know and videos and you get a little piece of all that it's like you know all of a sudden you're like that year you're banking off of the one cartoon you know yeah. and so I was like this is huge you know <laughs> so I went in and I started recording for them and um, you know they go well you know do what you did for us in the room where you imitated the raccoon and how you fed him and grabbed the cookie and all that stuff but when you fed the raccoon the pita bread and all that stuff. And I was like, oh, okay. So I did that stuff, and they're recording me like you are. And, <laughs> I, and, um, and you know, they they use, like that particular movie used its, each team for each character because there weren't that many characters in the movie. Each character had. Fuck you. <laughs> each, character had its own <laughs> each character had its own team to, you know, to animate each character. So, in fact, if you watch the credits on Pocahontas, you'll see that when it comes down to Miko, it'll have my name in there, as opposed to like the list of voiceover actors. It'll have. Who animated them? Who storyboarded them? All this stuff, and me as well—the voiceover guy—in it as one thing, which is really great. Because I mean, to make a character like that, it's uh, you know a collaborative thing. You know, this is one of the fun things about doing voiceover: how collaborative that is, as opposed to you know acting on stage or or you know, on screen. You know, it's collaborative art, and everybody's job. I mean, you know. Yeah, everybody goes. Oh, you could do the crib keeper without the you know, without the puppet and stuff like that. We're so used to hearing your voice and stuff like that. But you know, really, I mean, it was Kevin's design that even inspired the voice that I came up with. And you know, obviously, they picked me for the personality and the stand-up comic that I could bring to it. And as it's, if you watch the show, as it evolves, it becomes more and more me, you know, doing Stanley Kowalski in A Streetcar <laughs> in Desire, Stella! you know, and this kind of stuff. And you know, they were infusing my personality into the Crypt Keeper as they went along, which was great. You know, I mean, it it, it freed me up to play something, but. You know, Pocahontas opened the door to a bunch of other animal characters over the years. Whether it's, People are always going, well, what did you do on The Simpsons? Ah, you know, I did Santa's Little Helper sometimes, and then I did other characters. Always, always animals. They thought of me when they, they needed some weird animal that was in love with Homer or something. Like, Can you do a donkey that's in love with Homer? Sure, why not? Stuff like that. So but that was my experience with Pocahontas. It was pretty cool.
0: Cool. Nice. I'm, I'm hoping you have a funny story for this, but what was it like uh, playing the Adam in the Justice League pilot?
3: Oh, it's brutal.
2: <laughs> <laughs> nice. No, um, for those of you who don't know anything about this, and most of you probably don't know anything about this, they, uh, back in 1997, before a lot of you were born, um, there was uh, an attempt to make a TV show based on the Justice League. And they go, okay, well, we don't have Batman, we don't have Superman, but we do have the Green Lantern, we got the Flash, we got the Atom, we got fire and ice. So their concept was to make a Friday night show you could sit down and watch with your kids. That was kind of like Super Friends. And for those of you that are into superheroes, which is probably not most of the horror community, but there are people who are, this is going to be like Super Friends, and it's something you can watch on Friday nights with your kids, and let's call it Friends Meet Superheroes. So it was about, you know, these five superheroes who were, you know, had uh, personalities that were flawed. Like, I played Ray Palmer, who was the, the, the atom I could shrink down and stuff like that. And he was, um, you know, shy, especially around women. You know, he was a scientist. He was a bit of a savant. He was a bit, you know, this kind of thing. And then, like, The Flash... Uh, played by Kenny Johnston, uh, actor Kenny Johnston. He always plays. I mean, if he were uh, an animal, he'd be a golden retriever. He's <laughs> got that kind of personality, you know. But he was like, Hey, I
3: got a job
2: working. You know, he has a flash, he'd go, I got a job as a mailman, and then he'd get fired the next day because he'd deliver the mail too fast and to make the other mailman look bad. So they'd get him fired. You know, stuff like that. But everybody, you know, Green Lantern was a commitment phobe. You know, I mean, it was all these different things. So. We, we made the show with Warner Brothers, and they couldn't afford to give us... When we turned into the superheroes, we'd be all buffed out. And they couldn't afford, you know, right off the bat, if the show didn't get picked up, to, to put suit... You know, to give us muscle suits. So they went into the vault and got body parts from Batman suits and from Robin suits and stuff like that from all the Batman series. And so, like, I had... Val Kilmer's upper body and Chris O'Donnell's legs. Oh, wow. By the way, the package was all mine, just so you know. Um, But but, uh, my wife does sign language, so she's going. Um, But. it, none not of it fit like my knees are in the wrong place you know it's like yeah. that's why I was saying it was brutal cuz it like beat up my body so bad but we had a lot of fun doing it but ultimately it was way too expensive a show to do and so they were like uh ah, we're going to we're going to pick up uh you know um, what was the show with uh Mark Lynn Baker and uh you know uh, uh, Perfect, Perfect, strangers. Perfect Strangers you know if we're going to pick up Perfect <laughs> Strangers for another three seasons. So, you know I was like it was like it costs too much to do and they never finished the special effects on it so if you ever see the movie it's like a wave gets st- stops in the middle of the scene and stuff like that you know um, so the effects are kind of like um,
3: greetings <laughs>
2: and um, so it was it was it was fun, but it was, you know, um, it would have been really cool if it had gotten picked up. But somehow it got leaked and wound up in, you know, uh, there were, you know, bad VHS versions of it in, in comic book stores and stuff. So I think you probably can see a better version of it now. But we had, I mean, there was some good actors in it. We even had, um, uh, um, I'm trying to remember who made, uh, who played the, the villain in the first episode. Um, who did a number of groups. Uh, Tests from the Crypt episodes. Um, on the tip taking
3: my tongue.
2: Um, Anyway, it had a lot of good actors in it. It was a great show, and could have been something real fun, but, you know, people watch it. I mean, now all the superhero stuff is so edgy, and so, I mean, the effects are, they spend so much money on it, and, Everything is so cool that this would have looked, you know, it would have looked like Super Friends, you know, which, <laughs> as we know, it was for kids on Saturday morning. Yeah. So it had that kind of feel to it. Yeah. Um, did we want to turn it over to the audience? Yeah, let's open it up to the audience if anybody has any questions. You know, No need to really use a mic because I can hear you pretty good from here. Anybody?
3: Yes. Dawn. Oh, Dawn of the Dawn. Dead. There you go. <laughs> Um, I'm just curious, what was, do you have a favorite episode from Tales of the Crypt? And do you have a favorite
2: guest from Tales of the Crypt? Oh, man. Well, it probably the reason it's my favorite episode is because of the favorite guest. It was Tim Curry and <laughs> Death of Some Salesman. Yeah. You know, where he played the mother, the father, and Winona. <laughs> uh, which is, uh, he was just, he was nominated for an, an Emmy for that. And a lot of cable stuff wasn't, back then, wasn't emanated. Uh, Eminated and eminated, <laughs> nominated for <laughs> Emmys. Make up my own words. You know that um, Was me, you know, uh, were nominated for Emmys because you know the networks had controlled so much of that. They were like, well, we don't want cable becoming competition to us. So, you know, of course, they wound up just buying the cable networks. So they wound up now you can cable wins everything. Cable. Who has cable anymore? <laughs> Streaming wins everything. Because um, we had love watching that little buffering thing go around. I don't know but, um, you know, so that definitely was one of my favorites. He was so good. And, in fact, my parents, who had never seen anything shot live before, these are very old world people, uh, still alive. My dad's 98 years old. My mom's 93. Oh, wow. You know. Everybody's like, "You have good genes. You live a little long time." I go, <laughs> "Like they didn't beat themselves up like I did, just in the college drugs alone that I took." And, you know, I probably, you know, and pickled like the crib keeper at this point, but uh, no, not really. That kind of racy. Um, <laughs> But uh, you know they, uh, I I took them down, and they happened to be shooting out Winona that day. Tim Curry dressed up like Winona that day, and it was unbelievable. He was just amazing, and he, he, he and he wouldn't break character for my parents and stuff. It was unbelievable. It was just that scene where he lowers himself down on Ed Begley Jr.
3: It's just like it's just got his
2: an Emmy right there. But uh, I loved. um ventriloquist's dummy you know with Don Rickles uh, as a ventriloquist with uh, Bob Keck and Morty Morty you know is kind of my favorites and of course oils well that ends well that I start in you know uh, that's an episode that I'm actually in with uh, Lou Diamond Phillips and Priscilla Presley and Cool. Alan Rock and you know the Crypt Keeper's watching me at the end going you know
3: the other hackers are good but
2: this one a bleeding man type a regular gory Cooper a Robert Tedford and that voice
3: I guess Sperry
2: reminds me of someone I know <laughs> and I tried to do like one of my best laughs I could do you know so that it would mark that episode but um uh it was, a, it was a lot of fun to do. Except the, except the scene where they have to come up out of a coffin. You're like, okay, John, in this scene you're in a coffin. I'm like, okay.
3: <laughs> Is the
2: lid open or closed? It's closed. Okay. Um, Lou Diamond's going to put some dirt on top of it because he's got to dig it. The last few days, wait a minute. So I'm in a coffin. It's a metal coffin. It's closed. <laughs> And I hear the dirt being thrown on top. Oh. Oh, wow. And I'm like,
3: Who <laughs> camera? I guess you don't
2: say that as an actor, as the director. like, Who camera? Yeah, you know? I'm like, <coughs> and then I had to act like it was cool, you
3: know. <laughs>
2: and, you know, obviously it was an homage to the Crypt Keeper popping up out of the beginning of the show, yeah. but I was just like, "Are you kidding me? I got to be buried in a coffin for a couple of minutes?" Well, yeah, you know? it was pretty creepy. Pretty creepy. Yes.
1: I want to know what your um, reaction was to the episode of The Crypt Keeper's Origin.
2: Oh, I love that. And Kim Yeager directed that episode. Yeah. And that his was, brother stars in
1: it. Oh, wow. A,
2: Jeff, who's Jeff, a really good actor.
1: That was one of my favorite episodes. It. And I was just like, oh, so yeah. I'm like, so that's how it, it happened. It was great. <laughs> I'm like, oh, he's kind of cute as a baby. <laughs>
2: I had never imagined that he had died that young.
1: <laughs>
2: uh, you know, it was like when I when I was trying to create personality for him, I was like, I don't know, maybe he was like an actor in a Shakespeare troupe, you know, and you know, and he died, and just you know, he, had, he was a zombie who lived through all of it. He just always played, you know, Falstaff as one of the funny characters, you know, and uh, so now he's, you know. Found a way to tell his own stories. <laughs> <laughs> so I just thought it was a great, I thought it was a great story. Obviously, yeah. it came from a comic book, so it, yeah. was, it was not one that I remembered from a kid. So right. it was kind of cool to rediscover that. I mean, to discover that one for the first time.
1: And I have a follow-up question. Yeah. Because you come from a theater background and and musical and everything, um, and so many um, horror movies, like there's like. The Evil Dead, the musical, how would you feel if somebody had come up with...
2: Tells of the Crypt, the musical?
1: Yeah.
2: They did come up with that. Did they really? Oh, wow. Yeah, they wanted to do a Broadway show where it was like three stories, like the 70s movie and the Crypt Keeper would host it. You know, when we were the, when the Crypt Keeper, originally when they opened the Universal Horror Nights... They had hired, you know, they had licensed the Crip Keeper to be the voice to be all, you know, and it was a nice paycheck every Halloween for a couple of Halloweens anyway until they decided, oh, we're popular now. We don't need you. <coughs> I was like, just what you're charging in parking for the next half hour. And pay my salary. But, but the Crip Keeper's voice would be all over the park telling you to walk down this lane, get in that line, that kind of stuff. But then they have, like, the stunt show. You know, where they, blood winds up all over the audience and everything throughout the show. But it's, it replaces the stunt show that you would see when you go to a regular Universal Day right. or whatever. Cool. And the Crypt Keeper would pop up and they had some, <laughs> you know, hand puppet version of the Crypt Keeper that would pop up with something that I pre-recorded. It was really cool. So they go, we could do something like that on Broadway. It would be really cool. We'll get you in there and we'll do it. And we'll be like... You know, it'll be like I don't know the Grinch that stole Christmas or something like. That. We'll do it'll be real fantastical and there'll be three stories and this kind of thing. And we had a guy named Jack Wall and Jack's no longer with us sadly because I because he, he was like a like an old uncle to me calling. Hey Booby, the good
3: Keeper's <laughs> going to be
2: selling Bud Light. You're going to love this <laughs> Bud Light, you know. And, uh, he, in fact, he, he did a lot of the writing for the, the Cryptness album, if any of you have heard that. This was, so was really one of my favorite things that were done. But Jack was always coming up with great ideas, and that was one of his ideas. But once they let the, the, the um, rights lapse from EC Comics, um, we were never able to get them back. And so we had the rights to everything that we had already, when I say we, of course, producers that I worked for, already ha- uh, could own everything that they made with this Keeper, um, And so they had rights to all that, but they didn't have the rights to make more stuff under the Towson and the Crypt um, licensing mm-hmm. without buying the licensing back. And, you know, Bill Gaines was no longer alive. He loved the show, but then his family were like, oh, you didn't give my dad enough money. We're not giving you the right spec." You know, it was all that stuff. It yeah. always comes down to that, or we're going to sell it to somebody else, but then somebody else didn't want it because they can't get this Crypt Keeper because it's our version of the grip Keeper.
3: Right.
2: So we have this guy but Jack was always like oh we're gonna he's his own actor we're gonna make a new show for him <laughs> stories your mother never told you you know and you're gonna be you know it's gonna be great you know it's gonna be you know but of course they, I'm sure we got say, sued by easy comics or whatever but you know whatever it was so people were constantly asking me why isn't Tales from the Crypt doing new episodes. A, it it would be really expensive to do nowadays. Those producers, because they were big producers, got favors from everybody. Mm -hmm. They got big actors to come in and work for scale, or they'd let them direct an episode, like Arnold Schwarzenegger or... uh, uh, Tom Hanks directed an episode, Michael J. Fox directed an episode, Michael Keaton directed an episode. They'd get Frankenheimer to come in and direct, and Tony Hooper. Oh, yeah. I mean, they'd get all these great directors to come in. You know, everybody wanted to work for these guys because they, they were the biggest you know, box office makers in the business. So, you know, and then we had, of course, the, what people call the ill-fated seventh season which we shot in London. Um, the, it, was, it was supposed to end after six seasons, and um, the show was getting more and more expensive because HBO, the reason you don't see Tales from the Crypt in those earlier shows, Arliss, Dream On, to, uh, First and Ten, you know, all these things, because they didn't own those shows. They would give you part of the budget and said, you have to come up with it somewhere else, but we'll air it on the things, that, which gives you the rights to take it and go sell it in, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, in other venues and that kind of stuff, other channels down the road. So, um, you know, but every year more of the budget would come on you. Mm-hmm. So by the time we got to the sixth season, it was like, okay, this show's really expensive. We're, only, we're not going to do anymore. But then it was becoming popular over in the UK, and they were like, we want to do more. We'll pay for it. So that's why they wound up doing it. They weren't the best episodes. But if you go look at it, it has Ewan McGregor, who we didn't even know who he was at the time. It has Daniel Craig. We didn't even know who he was at the time. Emma Sams. I mean, all these actors and actresses that were big, you know, making it over there, just about to start coming up. And we didn't even know who they were. And some of them were some of the biggest box office people in the business. So that was kind of cool about it. Mm. But, yeah. There you go. That's that's <laughs> the... Uh, but yeah, we had an idea to do that. and I think it would have been kind of cool. Yeah. You know, some people would go, oh, there's not a big enough audience for it, but I, but that's just not true. You know, You know, Crip Keeper is the uh, gateway drug to horror. <laughs> you know? It
1: was when I was in high school. All my friends got together. <laughs> Watched it religiously.
2: Yeah. And um, it is like a religion. Horror. Yeah. But, you know, it's funny because... You, you know, uh, I say that to people and you expect people to laugh, but a lot of people just go,
3: yeah, it's true. <laughs> you
2: know, who, who would, what kid wouldn't walk by the TV set if see some creepy little puppet and not have to sit and watch him, whether he scared the shit out of him or not? He'd sit there and still have to watch it. And then yeah. going, well, I was scared, but now I'm not. Now I'm not scared, You know. <laughs> I was on the subway train in New York, and I'm strap-hanging, and there's some a friend with me, and he nudges me. And this is early on when the show was on. And he nudges me and he points to kid's got a Cryptkeeper Keeper doll uh, sitting on the bench. And he's like, five. Oh, I like, go,
3: oh, you got the Cryptkeeper?"
2: Keeper. He goes, yeah, I do his voice. I go, oh, really? Let me hear it. For five Year old, it was really good. And I was like, you know, I kind of do it myself. He goes, you, you Really? Let me hear it. And I do it. And he's like, mine was so much better.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: I'm just like, There's no way I can tell this kid. First of all, he probably wouldn't believe me. I could probably show him my driver's license and he's still like, Take. <laughs> You know, five. I don't know what that says. You know. <laughs> but I just let it, left him with his delusion.
1: Fucking <laughs> <Good> kid. <laughs> <Hey>.
2: <laughs> but, uh, yes.
1: This isn't a deep one, but I have to know. Does the, the voice thrash your throat? Is it hard? You know, hey, people
2: ask me that all the time. And there, there are definitely voices that thrash my voice worse than this when I have to manipulate, like maybe a... a I'm doing impersonation of somebody or something because I am manipulating my vocal cords in a way they're not used to vibrating. But because I created that voice, it's in a place in my, uh, in my voice that's comfortable for me. Um, that being said, it takes a lot of energy to put, that I have to put into it in order for myself to protect my voice. You know, as a, as a Broadway actor, somebody was working on stage, Doing eight shows a week, singing, and a lot of the parts that I did did funny voices and stuff like that. You know, I had a voice teacher who taught me how to put my body into my voice. So my body would get tired before my voice did. But, you know, um, that being said, voiceover session at the most is four and a half hours uh, just for that reason, because to protect your voice. Because any voice that you're doing, your voice is going to get tired, especially when you're. Making adjustments and manipulating it, and trying to do it over and over and over again, or like in a, when you're doing video games and you're screaming and dying, you know. Oh, you're the guy that dies throughout the entire, you know, game. You know, ah,
3: fuck you.
2: Yeah. Uh, but you know, if you're doing that, those those are really hard on my voice. But you know, honestly, uh, yeah, you know, if I do it long enough during for a day or two days or three days or whatever. Um, it definitely will tax on my voice, but it doesn't naturally tax on my voice as bad as some other um, voices that I've done. Yeah. Because I could see some people like, like, squeeze it off
3: and then do the quick
2: You know, for me it's like, it's kind of like sucking the air out of the, you know, out of the, you know, sucking it out of the air, which is kind of a cool, fun thing to do. But yeah, you know, I mean, I, I won't lie, it's it's not uh the uh the easiest voice that I've done but at the same time it's not as hard as you might think for me for me because i because you know was when I when we first started the show you may notice in the earlier episodes I gotta keep I talk talks and more ominously. Like this, because the puppet's
3: mouth didn't move very well.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you know, besides using Chucky's eyes, Kevin didn't have much money to put servos and stuff that <laughs> were very expensive into the puppet. So, you, go. <laughs> <laughs> and it
3: and
2: <laughs> you know, and um, even though I had auditioned it the way you hear me doing it now. We had to bring it down to there and Kevin was like, "Oh, we gotta you know slow it down for the puppeteers because it's you know it took three puppeteers just to make the face move.
3: Wow. you know,
2: so they were all really in conjunction and pretty amazing. but um, uh, you know so and that was harder on my voice than than the out there kind of loud and freer version of the Crypt Keeper. Yeah. Good question. Yes. You're scary. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that, that, should, that means a lot coming from you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, were you able to keep
2: any of the props from the show? Um, I'm trying to think if I really had anything. You know, not really. Uh, you know, a lot of the stuff was you know, made on the cheap, you know, and for the episodes, um, I do have the pinball machine because they, you know, it was part of the payment, you know, because a lot of times they do all this advertising for the show and they'd be like, well, we can't pay you what we normally pay you, but we give you a $8,000 pinball machine. And I was like, great, I'll take that. You know, um, I swiped this at the Bordello Blood premiere, which is, like I said, I've had to tape it back together because so many people have tried to take it from me. But it's also traveled all over the place with me. In fact, I just lost the only other one I had. I lost last week in uh, in uh, where was I last week? Oh, I was in Lexington. (laughs) I went to the restroom on my way back from my Q and A. I put it on the toilet paper thing and went to myself, don't forget that. Mm-hmm. Oh, I left it there. Of course, I went back and I was just like, you know,
3: fuck! <laughs> Somebody got
2: a really cool memorabilia and they probably have no idea what it is, you know? <laughs> but um, maybe one day I'll find someone on eBay and have to buy them. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, you know, there really wasn't that much for me to get a hold of. I mean, the Crypt Keeper was. Rebuilt for every show. It was plastic, a clear plastic with all the motors and stuff in them, and they redid the flesh and the hair and everything and the costume every episode because it was so thin, that stuff breaks down, plus it, it tears while they're working on it. you know. And they're patching it and keeping it together and putting the, all the stuff to make it look juicy on it <laughs> each episode. So there wasn't a lot that... Um, you know, I had a few things over, the, you know, like some merchandising things. You know, when they'd merchandise something, they'd send over a, a version of it for me. I had one of those Spencer Gifts full size group keepers, which, you know, I would take, everybody would go, keeping that over our house for Halloween, you know. And of course, it fell apart after a while. I used to bring the head with me to conventions, you know, set it up on my table, but I'd inevitably get stopped putting it through the, through the oh, 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 oh. Be like, what's in there, sir? <laughs> you know, you open it up, it's crib keeper's head. <laughs> Why do you have the crib keeper's head? Um, the crib keeper? <laughs> yeah, right.
3: Just go. <laughs> I do the boys. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Any other questions?
0: Yes? Did the uh, producers consider anyone else to be Crypt Keeper, or were you
3: at the
2: day one? Um, only at one point when I wanted more than scale. <laughs> <laughs> like, after the first two seasons, I was like, okay, this this show's become popular, I help make it popular, I do a crap load of advertising for them, you know, I do, like, radio spots as the Crypt Keeper, you know, where, like, like, 50 interviews would start from the east coast drive time you know for over two days where they inter- you know like you know Nick and Charles from WQPR are now going to interview you know the crypt keeper for halloween you know or for the new uh, the new uh, season yes. of castle crypt that kind of stuff and eventually I was like uh, you know uh, tell them I'd like to have more than scale you know <laughs> which is not a lot of money up front you know for what I was doing and and the residual shirt on HBO were like you don't get much so I wasn't really getting paid I never did get paid much for this show um but it wasn't it didn't matter it was just such a wonderful show to work on and um But at one point they, you know, they were like, you know, and this is one of the reasons why they can't get the rights back. Because Joel Silver is one of the cheapest guys in the business, not only one of the biggest guys in the business, but also one of the (laughs) the cheapest guys in the business. It's like fire him, find somebody else. And Kevin tells me the story of how they found, like, they go, let's just get a real old guy. So he got a really old guy in there, and he was trying to do what I did, and he came off like the guy. Hey, You want some brisket
3: with that? <laughs> you know, that
2: kind of thing, and they were like, "This isn't working. Get him back.
3: We'll
2: pay him double scale." And I think I got triple scale for the third, you know, the fourth season, and then maybe I got, you know, quadruple scale for the, you know, I never got more than, you know, than like, you know, whatever it was, you know, it was, but. You know, but then they'd, like, you know, pimp out the Crypt Keeper for Universal Horror Nights, and i could get a de- decent paycheck, something that it was worth, you know, doing. But, um, you know, but it helped launch my voiceover career and stuff. So, I mean, I, you know, I, I often tell people I'm re- I really feel fortunate this, when I come. I wouldn't come to these conventions if it wasn't fun for me and the people that come to see me because, I mean, I feel really fortunate that this is a character that I loved. It was something that I loved as a kid before it was ever even made into a TV series. I, I imagine there are some people that come here and they have to sign autographs for something that they hated. They may have hated the character. They may have gotten treated badly. They may, it may be the only thing they're known for and they hate it, you know, um, or, you know, for whatever reason. This is like, I'm so tired of being that guy, <laughs> you know, and, but... You know, being a voice actor, people, yes, they know me as the grip keeper, but there's so many other things that I've gotten to do over the years that I just feel really fortunate. So it's, you know, I, I I don't take it for granted when somebody walks up to me and goes, I'm really glad you're here. Thank you for coming here. You know, your show was really fun to watch as a kid. That I means a lot to me. I watched it with my dad. We didn't know that was happening. I watched it with, you know, my parents wouldn't let me watch it. I watched it with my grandmother on the weekends. You know, um, you know my parents wouldn't let me watch it if I didn't do my homework. And my parents, I was scared. My parents made me watch it if I didn't do my homework. I
3: mean, you know, I
2: mean it's just, it just like so many great stories, and none of it's lost on me because just I just think that's so, such a great thing to be associated with. So many different ways when somebody says, You know, I, you know, that watches my grandma's not anymore, but one of my fondest memories is watching with Grimper, and that means a lot to me. It does. Thank
1: you. Thanks for listening. To hear more, we got the geek. Check us out at www.wegotthegeek.com and on iTunes.